What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the second episode of the Ultimate Cap Show. Mikey McNuggets, Jason Lloyd. Is Donovan Mitchell a legitimate MVP candidate? Will the Cavs be buyers or sellers at the deadline? Plus, who has been the biggest surprise of the season in 2023-2024? For your Cleveland Cavaliers, we'll answer all those questions coming up on the Ultimate Cavalier Show. And we are back. Jason Lloyd, Mikey McNuggets here. Jason, how you doing? The first episode was a success. I'm glad you're back for round two. Clearly, they should be sellers, right? They have no chance of winning anything. Sell them all. Trade Donovan. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, guys. Jeez. <laughs> there is the Grinch, as always, coming in hot. Uh, we got a couple of things we're going to talk about. This is also our first live edition of the Ultimate Cleveland Cavaliers show which means we are still kind of learning some of the features in this system. So we got the live chat going. We're going to try taking some questions at the end. I have some videos and some stats I may throw up. So bear with us if it gets all convoluted and confused and you see something pop up when it's not supposed to. We are a work in progress as we continue to try and give you some team-specific content moving forward. Let's start with our first topic of the day, though, Jason. The Cleveland Cavaliers have won 14 of 15. And the NBA released its MVP ladder. NBA.com does that weekly. And Donovan Mitchell was not in the top five. He was not in the top 10. He was in the others receiving votes category. And I'm going to be honest. It kind of pissed me off. It really did. Usually I don't get offended by midseason award lists and all that. But here are the 10 candidates who NBA.com has listed as the top 10 MVP candidates as of today. 2 6 24 Number 10, Devin Booker. Number 9, Kevin Durant. Number 8, Kawhi Leonard. 7, DeMontis Sabonis. 6, Luka Doncic. 5, Jason Tatum. 4, Giannis. 3, Embiid, who's hurt. He'll continue to fall. 2, SGA of OKC. And 1, Nikola Jokic of the Denver Nuggets. And here's why I'm kind of pissed off. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay you out the Donovan Mitchell case as to why he should not just be in the conversation but a legitimate top five contender right now. I think there are three factors you consider when you're looking at MVP. Team success, value to said team, and then numbers. You have to have a combination of all three. You can't just have two of the three because there will be another player in the NBA who checks off all three categories. Let's go team success first. The Cavs are 19-4 and four in the last 23 games. They are mm -hmm. second in the Eastern Conference right now. Not, eh, they're middle of the pack. They are second. They're the hottest team in basketball right now. And over... The last month and a half, they have been playing better basketball than the Boston Celtics, who are currently first. Now, during that stretch, they've done it without Darius Garland. They've done it without Evan Mobley. They have completely shape-shifted their offense and moved Donovan Mitchell's primary focus from being an off-ball scorer to an on-ball playmaker who also is scoring 30 points a night. He's averaging 31 points per game since the turn of the calendar, which is a career high for a seven-week stretch. Uh, in his entire career, dating back to his days in Utah. So you look at value. We all talked about when they were in the ninth seed on December 15th, no Mobley, no Garland. It might be time to hit the panic button. Well, value is Donovan Mitchell put on a second superhero cape. He's now Batman and Robin by himself. And yeah, Jared Allen, I'm not taking anything away from him, but it's been the Donovan Mitchell show offensively as the lead dog. And they flourished. And then you want to look at the numbers. He's averaging a career high in points. He's top seven in the NBA in scoring. He's seventh right now. Yeah, he's behind SGA and some of those other guys, but there's nothing to scoff at averaging 28 points per game. He has a career high in assists. He's shooting 46% from the floor. He has the numbers to back up that he should be a legitimate MVP candidate. He has the team value, 
He helped this team corral itself when they lost two of their four core four guys. And the Cavaliers are also a very good basketball team. Hottest in the league, second in the East right now. So I don't get how you have two different players from the Suns in a most valuable player list. You have Sabonis, who none of these guys are bad by any means. They're all deserving. But you can't tell me without Donovan Mitchell, the Cleveland Cavaliers are 19-4 and four in the last 23 games. You can't tell me they're winning. they're winning 14 or 15 games without Donovan Mitchell upping the ante of being that lead alpha dog in the capacity he has. There's no way. It's a disgrace he's not in the top five conversation for MVP right now. I don't disagree. He's certainly got the numbers. Uh, he's played, you know, I wrote it for today. He's played the best basketball of his career in Cleveland. That's indisputable. He had a, he had his best year last year, and he's been better this year. His assist numbers are up. He's had to be the playmaker when Darius is out extended period of time. He was the one that kept this thing going and not only keeping it afloat, but really had this team thriving. So I agree with everything that you've said. I think he's deserving. I think he should be in there. I think I know why he's not in there. And why is that? Postseason success. I think he's being punished by the fact that he did not have a good series last year against the Knicks. They went out in five. It's two years in a row that he's been bounced in the first round, and I think that's being held against him. Fair or not, you can disagree with that. You can say that's that shouldn't count. It's a regular season award. I'm just telling you. Having been involved in the NBA awards voting before, Donovan was sixth last year. I just looked it up just to mm-hmm. be sure. I thought he was top five, but he wasn't. He was sixth. He finished sixth in MVP voting last year, and he's having a better season this year. So what's changed? Well, since he finished sixth in MVP voting, they won one playoff game, and he did not have a good series. And I think he's developing a rep- that sort of reputation because of, he struggled in the postseason, and that's something he's going to have to shake this year, he'll have every opportunity to do so. And I think, you know, the Cavs are starting to it, – it's probably taking longer than it should have, but they're starting to get the attention of people nationally. And so you'll probably see him start to float up some of these lists over the last couple months of the season. But I really think that the fact that he's lacked the success in the postseason is going to punish him when it comes to the league's most prestigious award. I just – I hate that – idea because Joel Embiid hasn't done anything in the postseason and he was your MVP last year and yeah I know he's won more than one game but Donovan Mitchell has won series before that's not his only playoff escapade he was phenomenal in the bubble series against Denver going toe-to-toe with Jamal Murray he's had playoff success he just hasn't had it in Cleveland Joel Embiid for me Embiid's numbers were off the chart I'm I'm just saying, uh, yeah, and and Embiid was deserving. If you want to say Jokic deserved his third last year, sure, I'm not really going to argue that point. And, and I'm not saying it's necessarily apples to apples, but I have a – I think you're right. If it's close, that's going to be the tiebreaker, yeah. at least to me. I, I think that's going to be the tiebreaker, yeah. and he, he's not going to win it. Nobody's arguing for him to win it, but he should be higher than what he is. I just think he gets punished for two teams now, two different – one West, one East. And the same dude knocked him out both times, Jalen Brunson. Yeah, yeah, I hadn't really thought of that, but you are you are accurate with that. It's just it, it's such a subjective value versus best player numbers. Numbers across the league are inflated now, like we've never seen. There's like 47 different guys. I checked over the weekend; it may have changed, but there's like 47 different guys averaging 20 points. There's multiple 30 point per game scores. Like that hasn't happened in the last decade. Essentially, it's now. Jumped up, you have Luka averaging 34 points, and he's not leading the league in scoring because Embiid's averaging 35 and a half. Like, I heard a number today, Ryan Rosillo was talking about it on his podcast. 
Denver's offense was second last year in the NBA in points per 100 possessions. They've gotten better from last season. This year, it's a higher point per 100 possession. They're down to eighth in the NBA. So offense across the league is just skyrocketing. It's, it's nuts. So you have to take every offensive number with a bit of a grain of salt, and teams are shooting more threes. You've seen the Cavs, who are the perfect example of that. They have never attempted more than 33 threes per game under J.B. Bickerstaff. This season, they're averaging nearly 41 per game. It's almost eight more attempts per game than they had ever done under J.B., and part of that's personnel. They have shooters now, then they're bringing shooters off the bench who are letting it fly, but you know, it, it, it's a value award. Like, I do think value does play a large part of that. And another thing, Donovan's been relatively durable this season. He missed those four games with the, the illness, but he's played in the majority of games for the Cavs. He's not in, in danger of missing the 65 mark that you have to hit to be eligible for these postseason awards. And some of the guys on that list haven't been. Embiid, Halliburton's another guy. Durant's missed some time. Yeah. I, I think Booker's missed a little bit of time, too. I, I could be wrong, though, 100%. Uh, quote me on that, but when you look at what makes an MVP, value, stats, durability, production. I forgot durability when I was going through earlier. And Donovan checks the box in all four. And I'm just surprised that a guy with the pedigree of Donovan Mitchell, and granted the postseason success isn't there, what you said is right, Jason, but it's not like he just burst on the scene last year. Right. You know, he's been a commodity in the NBA, a proven superstar in the league now for half a decade, is still kind of underlooked and maybe over overvalued or undervalued excuse me on the national scale as much as he is because we watch him night in night out and he does miraculous did he really just do that kind of stuff every night you watch him play basketball the pass to himself last night off the backboard was spectacular <laughs> yeah I didn't see that one coming I texted the group chat I was like that was filthy that was that was and, and yeah he does those things uh, he, he should be in there I, I totally agree he should be he certainly should be higher on the list than what he is uh, speaking of awards, Jared Allen was not named the injury reserve. I'm not sure if you saw this. It came out I did. Uh, just a few minutes ago, or about an hour ago, but I know yeah. you were dealing with your, your daughter. They went to Scotty Barnes, who continues to have a troubled checkered pass with the Cleveland Cavaliers, and Trey Young. And we talked about it on the first show that if, Rand, uh, not Randall, if Jared Allen didn't get in initially, we thought he'd be one of the injury reserves. And we're going to talk about it on UCSS tomorrow, so I don't want to dive too deep, but you're not on tomorrow. Were you surprised that he wasn't one of the two injury reserves selected to make the all-star game? Yeah, I was. I thought I thought he was an injury replacement when he made it the first time. I thought he would be again. Now I think it is a snub. We talked the first time about is it a snub or not? And I said, I don't really I don't he's he's worthy and deserving, but I don't know that he should be that he didn't that other people are in there that are more deserving. You know what I mean? It, it, there were others who made it were just as deserving as him. There's just so many spots to go around. Now it sort of feels like a snub and maybe it's because, you know, we watch him play every night more so than, and, and Trey Young's a great player too, but the Hawks are a disaster. And, and Jarrett has played so well in this stretch uh, when they had so many other injuries. I thought he earned it. I thought he should have gotten the bid over Trey Young. I actually don't mind the Trey Young one. It's the Scotty Barnes one that really irritates me. Like, you were their second best player before they traded Pascal Siakam, and you weren't that good when you had Siakam. Then you trade Siakam, and you've been mediocre. You've been okay. Not great, not terrible. You're not a bottom of the barrel team. But Jared Allen, I think, just continues to get kind of overlooked by the, the big picture of the NBA. And whether or not you want to acknowledge the little things because they don't show up in a box score, he does all the damn little things that help you win. And he's a really, really good, well-rounded, solid, 
kind of intangible basketball player to what the Cavs want to do. He's helped unlock this four-out-one-in system. He's the defensive anchor, and him and Mobley together are great, but when it's just one on the court, the metrics even metrics show that Mo, uh, Allen's the better technically big, big defender. So I, I was disappointed for Jarrett because I do think this is the best basketball he's played of his career. He's kind of unlocked himself and put himself in a new tier of where you rank the NBA centers. And this was a case where for a prolonged period, he was the guy. He was the big for the Cleveland Cavaliers, and they played their best basketball when it was him, unlike the Raptors, who have kind of been middling the pack with Siakam, without Siakam. And Scotty Barnes is a good player. He's not bad, but I just I kind of feel gutted for Jared Allen. I thought he deserved to be in Indianapolis with Donovan Mitchell come, what's it, two weeks? Next week? Next weekend? Yeah, yeah next yeah, weekend. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, I think that's it. Um, yeah, you know, we talked about it. I don't know if we talked about it on this show last week or UCSS, but I mean, Jarrett had about as miserable of a postseason series as you can have. Yeah. And then to come out and say the lights were too bright somehow made it even worse. And to the point where, you know, it became, he became the topic of trade rumors. They need to move on from Jarrett. And for him to flush all of that and come back and have the season that he's had and put up the numbers that he's had is a credit to him and, and mental toughness and whatever else you want to call it. Uh, he didn't play well in the playoffs. He knows it. We know it. And he's come back and had an even better year this year than what he played last year. And he's a tent pole to what they do defensively. They build a lot of their schemes around him. Evan Mobley gets a lot of the airspace and what we talk about defensively and rightfully so, but Jared is absolutely a tenant to what they do. And when he's out, the whole thing seems to come down. So uh, I do feel badly for him. I think he earned it. I think he deserved it. I think he should have got, you make a, a very good case for Scotty and for taking Jared over Scotty, really either one of them. I think Jared's more deserving than both of them. I just have a hard time looking at a guy like Trey Young who puts up these Absurd number. I mean, Trey Young's numbers are video game-esque, and it's hard to yeah. even get the numbers he puts up in an NBA game if you're playing 2K on, on pro mode. But they're a bad team, and there are guys who put up big numbers on bad teams, and bad they're teams. not conducive to winning. And at some point, I think you have to sparse out. These numbers truly mean something and impact the game in a way that 27 and 13 and a 140 to 123 loss doesn't. Right. And what Jared does – in my opinion, at least, is directly correlated to the Cavs winning. He doesn't take bad shots. He doesn't take many shots to begin with. Every time he touches the ball, there's a reason and an impact and a direct result of him doing something that leads to typically a good result for the Cavs. And do we want to try to get something crazy real quick, Jason? You want to give me a sec to try something here? Sure. Steve Becker, you're gonna get Steve Becker, you're gonna get mad at me for this. I'm just want to test it out. We'll never do it again if it works. I just want to see if this will work. So like, this is a play yesterday. Let's see if this works. Steve, I'm sorry. An apologies in advance. This work? Okay. Watch this give and go. Let's go on one here. I want to do this first. Oh, give and go. With Allen and Mitchell, which leads to a Levert three. And yeah. Steve Becker, I'm sorry. You get mad at me. I'm, I, I just I would need to try this to make sure it works so we can do it later. I know we're not supposed to play this. But watch this again. I'm going to play it again. Watch this give and go. Allen and Mitchell, great backdoor pass, kicks it to yep. the corner. Yep. The defense yep. is scrambling, wide open Levert three. The Merrill play came right before it. I'm going to play this one more time. Allen catches here. That's a dime. Do you see where that pass is going through two defenders? Yep. Jared Allen wasn't making those passes a few years ago. This is the evolution. We talked about it last week, the connection. Allen, Mitchell, how has this whole thing worked without Mobley and Garland? Because those two guys, that is a dime. Donovan Mitchell, MVP. Yeah, he could shoot the layup there, right? Not a bad shot. That's two no, points. What makes the Cavs so good this year is kicks it to the corner. Niang, 
Not a bad look. You got Keegan Murray, That's Keegan open Murray three. closing out. Give up a good look. Get a great look. Boom. Karis LeVert wide open three. You cannot guard that. You can't guard that. And then we'll, we'll do this because we already played one. We already broke the rules. We'll do it twice. <laughs> I'm sorry, Steve. I love you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We'll do it again. This is Did a stand three. We'll run this back. Just watch this little action that JB has kind of set up here. Mitchell comes off the Allen screen. Merrill's in the in the paint. Malik Monk is guarding Sam Merrill. He comes and sets a little back screen for Niang's guy. You can see. Can you guys see my mouse? I don't think you can see my mouse, Jason. Can no, you? No. Uh-uh. Malik Monk is pointing at Niang's defender. Hey, I'm slagging off. I'm helping. I'm helping. I'm helping. Jared comes over, sets a little screen. Mitchell finds Merrill wide open. Wide cash open. money. That's a layup for anyone else in the world. It's all the little things. Like those things don't show up necessarily in. Oh, look, I got it to work. Those things don't actually show up in the box score, but it's that kind of little detail that Jared Allen does that makes him so valuable to this Cleveland Cavaliers roster. And what they've been doing lately, uh, Donovan Mitchell deserves the most credit. Jared Allen deserves the second most. 100% agree. Those two guys together, and they've developed pick-and-roll chemistry, just the chemistry of being on the floor together. They've been together a year and a half now. They know where each other likes the ball. They know each other's movements now, and you're seeing it play out in real time. Good job on that. I'm so happy it worked. Steve's going to get so mad at me. Steve, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Why can't we play those? We can play those. No, we can't. Well, maybe the NBA rules are different. We can't. They are. And the NFL is the only psychopaths out there that don't allow. Well, if we can't do that, we'll start doing that every week. I love doing that kind of stuff. NBA. Yeah, NBA, you can do that. Well, Steve Becker, don't be mad because we can do that and we'll do more of it if we're allowed to. I give you permission. Don't worry about it. Speaking of other shows, speaking of the Browns, G. Bush did his first ever Ultimate Brown show on Monday. Make sure you go check it out. Him and Leroy Horde talked about Ken Dorsey's presser. The Ultimate 216 show with Earl the Pearl launches on Thursday. We talked to Earl today about what his opening topic is going to be, and I cannot wait to see the response. It's going to be a banger. Make sure you tune into that. Jason, the trade deadline is coming up here on Thursday. It is right around the corner. We talked about this on UCSS today. We don't have to spend a ton of time, but you and I are in agreement, and I'll let you kind of explain why, but I think both of us would be pretty shocked if the Cavs made any type of significant move or really any move at all before the deadline on Thursday. Yeah, they're not doing anything. I was talking to someone in the organization yesterday. He's like, we're sitting this one out. And frankly, they should sit it out. Number one, any sort of quality player that they would pursue, they would probably get out kicked in trade packages because they only have number really second round picks to trade. They don't really have a first round pick to trade. And you don't want to cut into this rotation because these guys are playing so well right now. You could, if you're not going to resign Okoro, you can look at possibly moving him, but that's a conversation for down the road. I think they'd probably like to have him back. At least that's what I think today. So you're not going to move him. There's no one you're going to cut out of this rotation to trade. Number two, you're only $3 million below the luxury tax. You're not going to move into the tax at this point. It doesn't make any sense. It leads to the whole repeat offender clock. And once you enter the tax, that clock starts ticking. And it's not so much about paying the tax this year or next year because we know Dan Gilbert will pay the tax. It's about when Evan Mobley is on a max deal, when Darius Garland is on a max deal, and those numbers add up quick. And Jared Allen, if he's still here in the whole Donovan conversation, we can have that later. Uh, you're going to have a lot of high salary guys on this. So you want to avoid paying the tax as long as possible to avoid paying the repeat offender because that is a very real tax and that gets very punitive really quickly. So, uh, and plus, I don't know if there's anyone viable who's realistic, who they could go get, who's better than what they have right now. And I know there's a little bit of a danger in that because, you know, we talked about it on the show today. Dean Wade at this point last year was playing pretty well. 
And that's part of the reason they moved on from Kevin Love was because they believed in Dean. And then Dean completely unraveled and fell apart, whether it was the injury, the pressure of replacing Kevin, whatever it was. He was awful down the stretch and unplayable in the postseason. Well, here we are again, and Dean's playing pretty well. It's February prior to the trade deadline, and Dean's playing pretty well. Yeah. You would like to think that he's learned from last year. He can continue at this level, and this will carry into the postseason. But it's a little bit of a risk. But you have to give these – these guys have earned the opportunity, and JB said this last night. They've He likes playing nine, not ten, but ten guys have earned the opportunity to play. So he's going to play ten, and that includes Sam Merrill. Well, I would say that these guys have earned the opportunity to take this group into the playoffs and see what they can do. They've surprised everyone already this year. They're on pace to win 55 games. You have to allow guys to make mistakes, learn from them, and then improve the second time around. There are a lot of mistakes made in that Knicks series. So now you have to hope and believe that they learn from them and they will be better about it the second time around. Is that how it's going to play out? I don't know. Nobody knows. But they've earned that chance to at least have that opportunity. I don't know who the, who's out there. I think they have a really good rotation going right now. Sam Merrill's making everything he throws up there. That doesn't even include Craig Porter Jr., who probably wouldn't even be in the postseason rotation anyway. When Tristan comes back, he's a big who can – listen, Tristan's not going to – this isn't 2016 Tristan. We all know that. But if you need three minutes, four minutes at the end of the first quarter, at the start of the he, second he quarter, can give you that. Tristan can give you that. And he's going to give you some rebounds and some tenacious defense while he's in there. So they have what they need. I do believe – they have what they need right now. There's no move out there that's going to make them markedly better. The luxury tax is a real thing. They don't have a ton of assets. That's a real thing. There's not a great fit on the market, I don't think. I know they've kicked the tires on Boyan Bogdanovich at the deadline last year with Detroit. The price was too high. They still like him again, but it's it's not a it's not a good fit. It's not a good match. Every team in the league wants shooting. I think the Cavs could probably use Another backup point guard. It's sort of been a spot that they piecemealed all year. And that was the Rubio spot. And obviously he's the Rubio away, spot. So. And, and Ty Jerome has been hurt all year. So they've really gotten by with Donovan and Darius. And you can, they can continue to do that. But it would be nice to have some sort of safety net there in case there's an injury or whatever else again. So I think that's something they could look at on the buyout market. They, I didn't mention this. They could also – uh, use that $3 million to convert Craig Porter Jr., who's, I believe, still on a two-way. They he could is. convert that into a full roster spot. They've got the spot open. So there's some different things they can do with that $3 million. I was wrong. I thought it was about two, $2.5 but it was a little bit more than I realized because uh, they got a good deal on the Rubio buyout. The Ricky was pretty generous in what he gave back under the circumstances. So they're actually – around $3 million right now under the tax line. So that's the key number. It's not the cap, it's the tax. And where are you in relation to the tax? And I believe they got Danny Green on the buyout market last year for right around the prorated rate of $2 million, I think, or something like that. So uh, that just gives you just a little bit of uh, uh, frame of reference for what you would be looking at on a bio. And and I don't have names. We have to get through the deadline to see who would be available. Whatever, whatever decent veterans are left on crappy teams after the trade deadline, those are the best buyout candidates, especially guys in the last year of their contracts. Yeah, you said a lot, so I'll make this real quick. Um, I don't think they have the assets to acquire anybody who would be an immediate and a guaranteed lock upgrade over anyone in their top eight. Yeah, And if you can't guarantee that somebody you're bringing in is going to even crack your playoff rotation, then I'm not sure there's a move out there. If the Cavs wanted to go big fish hunting, 
They can package Levert and Dean Wade and some picks, and that gets you to the 20 million, which in today's day and age is a mid-level contract. Like 20 million is not what it used to be. Yeah. 20 million doesn't get you uh Cam Johnson. Like he makes more. Like it they don't have a ton of salaries to package together. If they want to, I don't mean this disrespectful, if they want to go fishing at the bottom of the barrel, they could get a Corey Kispert or someone like that for Ty Jerome, Damian Jones, and a couple second round picks just because there's going to be a team in Atlanta that wants to blow everything up, that wants to get off contracts. Maybe you can take Royce O'Neal off the Nets' hands for a second, two second round picks, which could be the Bronny James pick at some point. Who knows? Like they just don't have a ton of things that would entice another team to want to give them something legitimately valuable. You have to right. give up something to get something. And I don't think there's any, we did it on the show today. If you want to go back and watch, I ran through a bunch of names who were like kind of realistic. Does Corey Kispert change the ceiling of the Cavs? No. Like, no. Does anyone on that list really change the trajectory of the Cavs? I think at this point with the the current money restrictions they have with the depth they already have, like they're a deep team. Unless you could turn two into one. And if I, I looked around, I don't know who that guy is that Levert and Wade combines into one guy so you have a little more rotation flexibility. I, I just don't know who if he's, that, that player exists out there. And if he does, send him your name. Like, I would love to see it. I P.J. Washington's a name I, I've seen get thrown around a few times. I, I want more shooting from that extra spot. He's not a bad fit, but I'm just not sure he's a, a huge upgrade to get rid of two guys to then bring back him. I'm not sure he's the return to package it for. So I think I think they're best off kind of riding with what got him here to this point. And yeah, it's a risk because all these guys can fail in the postseason again, but who's to guarantee PJ Washington or Cam Johnson or Sadiq Bay or whoever in theory they were to bring in doesn't do the same thing. So that's kind and of on the, on the global view of the trade deadline, I, I'm not going to say it's going to be a quiet year because every year you say that there's 25 trades on deadline day. But it, I don't think it's going to be as impactful, and maybe I'm maybe I'm way off. But it doesn't. It, I don't get the sense that there's going to be a lot of big names on the move. This certainly isn't like a KD deadline deal or anything like that. Some of the things that we've seen in the past with major names on the move of the deadline, I don't get the impression we're going to see that at all. What do you think, real quick? Because I'm, I'm checking the chat and I'm still trying to figure out how to look at the chat and and talk to you at the same time. So I don't even see the chat. So it's it's on the side in the comment section. We're still still learning this new system, but. Uh, Evan 419, I, I just they're arguing over Lavert's value. He says Lavert's value has never been higher. I mean, what's Lavert bringing back right now? Like, I, I don't know the answer. He's on a the two years left of his deal. Yeah, I mean, Lavert, you trying to get a player for him? Um, I think I, I, I'm just reading the comment as we go along. So I, I think he's trying to get somebody back. But I think Evan has said before Lavert as the centerpiece of a package to try and turn two and a one. I'm not sure what Levert's return is. I don't think Levert. As far I, as a player, you can get a first round pick for him, but the Cavs. That's are what going. I'm saying. Yeah, you could get a one for him. My daughter's leaving. I guess say bye. Um, but I don't know that you're gonna. Who I don't know that you're gonna bundle him with another player to get someone. I mean, Car- the thing that drives you crazy about Karras is just that he's inconsistent, and he could give you 40 one night and give you 12 the next and shoot two of 12. And that's the part that is is just a little frustrating with his game. But, I mean, yeah, I would agree his value is probably as Never high as higher. it's been. Yeah. But I don't know that that's reason enough to move a guy. You know, I am all I am all for maximizing assets and moving on from guys when it fits, when the time's right. 
but he's a really important piece to what they're doing right now. So that sort of feels like uh, we met Evan at that, at that, uh, at the event that we did the yeah. behind the glass thing, but that feels like uh, fantasy basketball, make a trade just for the sake of making a trade. I don't know what you're really going to make your team better. And one last thing on Karis, then we got to get to our last topic before we wrap up. But Karis also is not an expiring contract. So any team yeah. that would be taking him on has to pay him $16 million next year, which is not a terrible salary for Karis LeVert. But it's not like you're going to get a guy with a bigger contract in a, in a direct return. Tomorrow is Wednesday. No ultimate team shows. But Thursday, Earl the Pearl 216 launches. Make sure you tap in. Tune in for that. If you're watching you like the Ultimate Cavaliers show, make sure you hit us a like button. Give us a subscribe on the Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show channel if you haven't already. We appreciate this. Jason and I love doing this. And if we can show video, we'll do a lot more of that moving forward as well. Jason, I wanted to end with this because I think there are legitimately five different answers you can go with. And if you're in the chat, I want to see your answers as well. Who's been the biggest surprise to you on the Cleveland Cavaliers roster this season? Sam Merrill. Sam? Okay. Dude, dude was a nobody okay. uh, even in December. Like, you know, I mean, he was here – it's funny because I was I asked yesterday, was Sam not ready for the Knicks series, or was that a miss and not giving him a chance? And I think that's a fair question to ask. Just because he's playing well now doesn't mean he would have succeeded in that series. But as desperate as they were for shooting, it is kind of interesting that they didn't take a look at him then. But they're taking a look at him now. And since since he entered the rotation for good on December 29th. I think he's shooting 41%. I looked it up last night after the game. I think he's right around 41% yep. from three. That's unbelievable numbers. And, you know, I was talking to Mike Brown about it. I mentioned this on the on UCSS today. I was talking to Mike last night. Sacramento had him in camp. He was one of their last cuts at uh, the end of preseason last season. And Mike said he loved him. He thinks he's legit. He thinks he can play. And it just came down to a numbers game. And they had – couple other guys who were about the same size who could do similar things and they just kind of wanted something different for that last roster spot and so they cut him and the Cavs snagged him and uh, I think he was the first pick in their G League draft and and the rest is history and now you know credit to Sam for sticking with it putting in the hard work and and taking advantage of the opportunity that's the biggest thing man well, you have an opportunity in front of you, take hold of it because you may not get another one. And he's taken hold of the opportunity. And now here's this unknown little guard who has forced JB to put him into his rotation, even though it means expanding the rotation beyond what the head coach wants and what he's comfortable with. And as soon as he starts struggling, he's probably out because JB wants to get it back to nine. But JB said, I got 10 guys that have earned the chance to earn the opportunity to play. So we're going to go with 10 and credit to JB for doing that, for moving beyond his comfort zone and all the credit to Sam Merrill for proving that he can play in this league. And as long as he keeps shooting like this, Cavs will find a spot for him. That was one of the options I thought you could have. I think you can make the case for Jared Allen. I think you can make the case for Donovan Mitchell taking his game to an even higher level. I think you can make the case for JB Bickerstaff. I know we didn't really put coaches in this, but the guy I'm going with is Isaac Okoro, and here's why. This time last year, exactly one year ago to the day, I was calling my buddies who work in the league, asking people around, hey, what, what could the Cavs get for Okoro in a second-round pick? And the answer was a bag of rocks. Yeah. The answer was nothing. He had zero value. Yeah. Nothing. Today, if the Cavs wanted to and they don't want to, I'm just saying if they wanted to move on from Isaac Okoro, 
They'd get at least a first-round pick, if not another player on top of that. Isaac Okoro has completely changed my perception of his game in 50 years. In 50, in one year, 50 games. He is their best perimeter defender. He is their best point-of-attack defender, not just in Cleveland. One of the elite point-of-attack defenders in all of the NBA. His three-point shooting percentage has gone up. And granted, he's taking open threes. I don't think he's a great Sam Merrill-level shooter by any means. He can't run some of the sets Sam Merrill does. But the Cavs don't need him to be. All the Cavs need Isaac Okoro to do, play great defense, which he does in and out every single night. And when the defense leaves you open to go help off on Donovan and other guys, make him pay. Yeah. And he's shooting damn near 40% from three this season. He's shooting close to 50% on corner threes this season. In the last eight games, he's shooting 47% from beyond the arc in all areas, the wing, top of the key corner. <coughs> what Isaac Okoro has done has transformed himself from a guy last year who played in the playoffs out of necessity but was an absolute Achilles heel to the Cavs' success in the postseason. Everyone kind of crapped the bed, but the Knicks didn't even guard Isaac Okoro. To an absolutely crucial guy that I think, regardless of who else is on the court in crunch time, I think Okoro has to be one of the five guys. And to me, that transformation from a guy I thought was virtually unplayable to a guy I don't think you can take off the court now. Hell, he guards Damian Lillard and Paolo Bancaro on back-to-back nights, Jason. He's guarding point guards and centers and doing a damn good job stopping them both. To me, I never foresaw this. I never saw this coming from Isaac Curl. I did not know he had this in him. Isaac, I apologize for doubting you. You have proved me wrong. And in my opinion, Isaac Okoro is the single biggest surprise of the Cleveland Cavaliers this season. Here's the only thing I'll push back on. He's got to make him in the playoffs or he's not playable. He's got to make shots in the playoffs. This, all it's these the biggest surprise to this point out. of the season, Jason. We don't know what's going to happen in the playoffs to this Fine. point of the season. Fine. I'll allow it. But Sam Merrill's up there. Jared Allen's up there. I'm, I'm doing a quick look at the chat. We had Okoro. We had Merrill. Someone said Dean Wade. Someone said JB for turning the offensive round. Uh, and I think you put Craig Porter Jr. in there too. On the flip side, I saw one person say uh, Max Drew surprised because he's not making as many shots. He was hot Sam's, yesterday. Hopefully he turns Sam, it up. Sam's still making plays to help this team win. And one thing on JB I want to point out, I tried saying last year in the playoffs, what do you want this man to do? They have no shooting. I said last year. I don't know if he's a good coach or not. I don't know. I know he didn't have enough weapons to go into that playoff series and give himself a fighting chance to win. When I'm calling for Danny Green to play, who's got one good leg, it was bad. but he could at least shoot the ball, tells you where you're at. And now look what happens. When you give the man some shooting, when you give the man ability to space the floor, and the team continues to play at the level that they are defensively, and now you add the offensive component that the other good teams in the league have, he doesn't look like such a terrible coach, does he? No, it's funny. Him and him and uh, Kevin Stefanski, kind of same trajectory this season. Yeah. Guys got hurt, and then they have boosted themselves in the overall view of the Cleveland fan base. We said we were going to take some fan questions, but we're over time. That means bad job out of us. Jason, when you come in Thursday, we're going to do a separate segment maybe after the show. We'll tape it, and we'll put it out. Some fan questions. We didn't get time to effort. These Ultimate right. shows do have a time limit because they go on the fast channel. So uh, we're already a minute over. So we're going to wrap up here. We appreciate everyone for tuning into the second episode, the first ever live episode of the Ultimate Cavalier Sports Show. Appreciate you for tuning in. Hit the like button, subscribe. We'll see you all tomorrow on the Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show. For Jason Lloyd, I'm Mikey McNuggets. We'll see you all tomorrow. Peace.